from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, the podcast for all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between. Alongside John Bennett producing, I am Sean Fazan. Today we're talking Saints, specifically Taysom Hill. What an intriguing offseason for him ahead. And the anniversary of the Super Bowl, specifically Ambush. If you watch Fox 8 uh, last week, you saw... Uh, we t- took a little walk down memory lane, so we're going to talk about that. But first, we want to remind you, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please tell your friends. And if you want to get in touch with us, use the Final Play app or Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. Now let's get to it. John Bennett. As the Taysom world turns. Mm-hmm. But this became, this, you know, it's funny how it all kind of works because, you know, during the day yesterday, Sean Payton's comments about uh, the first-round tender on Taysom and a team may be interested in, and, and, and offering him came, but that was from a podcast uh, that was taped um, before Peter the Super King. Bowl. Before yeah. the Super Bowl. Now, it may have been released after the Super Bowl, so that started to make its rounds. And in this Taysom Hill stuff, which popped last night, uh, it was a pretty low-key interview. Someone uh, saw it and then decided to you know make an aggregated uh, article about him. I say aggregate. I mean using someone else's quotes and giving them attribution. Um, so... We did a little detective work, and when I say detective, we just went back and clicked on the articles. And um, the headline said, Taysom Hill, quote, I would leave, if views himself as a, fran- you know, as a franchise quarterback. And one of, the, one of the tweets basically said, you know, Taysom Hill, and in quotation, you know, colon, in quotation, I leave Saints to be a franchise quarterback, something to that effect. And looking at the, looking at the uh, headline here, this is from NFL.com, around the NFL there, and that's what they do. They aggregate certain things, and that, that's fine. And it says the the, te- the headline says Taysom Hill aims to be quarterback, would leave Saints to do so. Now, when you see it like that in print, you see it on a tweet. It kind of goes, whoa! I know I got a <laughs> couple texts from some 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 news colleagues here that were uh, very curious. Let's just say it's the same news colleague that always <laughs> comes up here to talk uh, talk sports. You may know him. I'm not going to say anything else. Um, he said, "What's up with this?" People are texting me. What's up with this? Really, nothing. It's a classic case of like 10 degrees of separation playing the telephone game. You know, here's the quote. Right. And then a few days later, here's an article with one title and then another title, another title, another title. And all of a sudden you're on the 10th article and, you know, Taysom Hill has his bags packed. And and I must admit, I I didn't know who the AP reporter was. So I read the article first. And it said the original. The original. Well, no, no. I read the article because it was not the original. Was actually just an interview. Yeah. So I read the aggregated article with the quotes that said, "I definitely view myself as a franchise quarterback." I think as you look at the other questions, is it New Orleans? Is it somewhere else? As you go into free agency, this is the time you start to find out how people view you. We haven't got into free agency long enough to really know how these guys view me. We'll just handle it as it comes. And this is the one everyone's talking about. I have loved every second of my time in New Orleans. So do I want to leave? The fact of the matter is no, I don't. But as you look at free agency, you have to find the right opportunity for you. You have to find the situation to take care of your, you and your family. I want to play quarterback in this league, and if, you don't view, if New Orleans don't view me that way, well, then I have to leave. That's really where we're at. So they basically took that line right there. I want to play quarterback in this league, and if New Orleans don't view me that way, I have to leave. Now, you read that, wow, is Taysom putting out a threat? So I went back and listened to the actual interview, and John Bennett, of course, you found it as well. So we're just going to play it out, and I want to see if you have the same feeling of is that with a threatening tone or you know, kind of planting a flight. This is what I want to do because, honestly, he's always said he wants to be a quarterback, and honestly, if he's not going to be a quarterback here, he's going to want to go where he's got an opportunity to play quarterback at some point, preferably sooner rather than later. So play out the tape. I think as you get to free agency, there, there's no, you know, denying that I loved my time in New Orleans. I love yeah. Coach Payton. I love, you know, Pete Carmichael and Joe, the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach that I've worked with, the special team. Like it has been an incredible experience for me. Um, and so the fan base, like I have loved every second of my time there. So do I want to leave? The fact of the matter is no, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. But as you look at free agency, you have to find you know, the right opportunity for you. True. You have to find this, the, the situation to take care of your family, 
to, you know, I want to play quarterback in this league. And if New Orleans don't view me that way, well, then I, I have to leave. Um, and so that's that's really where we're at. All right. So that was the uh, that was the actual verbiage, the actual uh, voice of Taysom Hill saying those words as opposed to reading uh, those words with someone else aggregated. Look, I, that seemed pretty straightforward to me. Didn't seem controversial. Didn't because I saw Ian Rapport said, "Well, okay then," based off the tweet, just with that line. And I was yeah. like, so I went, so that's when I really started to because he has the power to shape narratives around certain people given his uh, pull around the NFL. So I went back and looked and checked the article, and it was as I thought. Um, Taysom Hill is not a, hey, they better hire me, or hey, they better do this for me, or or else. He's just not that kind of guy. And honestly, he's very self-aware. He knows where he's at, but he's also a confident guy that believes he's on a trajectory to be a starting quarterback, which is exactly what he said. I view myself as a franchise quarterback. If the Saints don't view me that way, well, then I have to leave. To me, that's not controversial at all. No. I think simply put on its merits, and it was like at the end of a 40-second soundbite, which is kind of a long time to be expressing mm. your thoughts about what could be a delicate subject matter, and this is why it's delicate, and this is probably not a quote that you would see coming out of a Drew Brees or Sean Payton who have been given quotes for 20 years now, and it's no fault of, t- I mean, he's, he's being honest, truthful, reflective, He's expressing himself, and he says all the right things. And in a full context, I don't think it sounds very threatening at all. But no, it's not those last seven words. If New Orleans don't view me that way, well, then I have to leave. Well, it's what he's always wanted. He's always wanted to be a quarterback. Sean Payton has said he's a franchise quarterback. He's basically saying, I'm here at free agency. We're going to see how things play out. Sean Payton has already said another team could be interested in uh, if they tender him in, in, in sending a first-round pick or a second-round pick, whatever the, uh, the 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 tender at you know they whatever level they tender him at. Um, so I, I think this is pretty par for the course. The guy understands I've been a team player, but also this is what I want ultimately. And if I can't get it in New Orleans, I'm going to do it somewhere else. Um, pretty normal, if you ask me. And it, and if if hypothetically Drew Brees said look not only am I returning next year I'm going to play five more years for the Saints put it in stone then I think everyone would agree like all right Taysom it's probably time for you to go elsewhere and see if you can be a franchise quarterback so I don't think this is at all threatening and I think that every party would agree that like I think Sean Payton and Drew Brees and Pete Carmichael and Joe Lombardi and all the people that he listed there would agree that he deserves a chance at some point to try being a franchise quarterback. And he's 29 years old. So, so the clock has, is ticking. It has to be like now. Yeah. Or very soon, if not now, very soon after that. And that's why you had Sean Payton. So so here we are in the offseason trying to piece together all of these little quotes, mm-hmm. some of which can be taken out of context. But how do you put all of it together? It's hard. But one of the things that stands out to me is Sean Payton talking about how Taysom Hill could have an increased role in the offense even more so. And look, when he started talking about a team might be more enticed to go after a guy like Taysom as a restricted free agent if they're in the back end of the first round, that was interesting. I didn't expect those words to come out of him a little bit. So I I started to kind of put it all into context, and I just go back to the initial Jay Glazer report or discussion when he was asked about the Saints and that is the Saints believe they have a franchise quarterback in Taysom Hill plus a day later Mike Florio's article basically laying out the framework of if Brees came back this is how it would look and in 2021 Taysom takes over so people ask me what do I think is going to happen with Taysom I think he's back in 2020 and I do believe there is a path for him to be a starting quarterback with the Saints based on the two reporters that have basically been the most concrete with that information because they are very closely aligned with Sean Payton and the Saints. If Jay Glazer reports something, it you can trust that it is right in line with what Sean Payton is thinking. And it's not going to be – he's not going to use Glazer to basically put out false information. He's like Glazer's not going to allow that to happen. He's going to basically – what Payton tells him is going to be – or whoever is going to end up being the truth. He, he's I, not going. He's. I, I would. I would expect if if it's just something he's trying to get out there to to play a game. I don't think he would use Glazer in that fashion. And it's not like we have a scorecard here at Fox Eight. But right. 
I can't think of a time where Sean Payton has ever come out and disputed, or Mickey Loomis has disputed ever. something Jay Glazer says. Other quote insiders, I can think of Mickey Loomis coming out and saying that's patently false. A lot, of, a lot of Ian report stuff, uh, Ian Rappaport stuff. Not, not any fault of his, not necessarily any fault of his, but he, he just he get he would get lost in that in between stuff, in between fact and what could be fact. He would report, and it's just. It's really just a, uh, a way to stir things up, you know. Just like his, just like happens. his tweet saying, "Well, but he's okay, been right. then. he has yeah. been right too." So I, don't, I mean, I don't want to, you know, uh, down the report or down the, uh, you know, Ian in this situation because he's been right a lot as well. He's gotten a lot of good quality information that has turned out to be accurate, but they have never gone on record and said anything Jay Glazer has ever reported is false ever. Yeah, and so here we are, and and here fans are trying to parse through an onslaught of quotes and try to make sense of it and figure it out and try to fit that into what we have seen and, you know, personal feelings about what Drew Brees has left in the tank, what you've seen from Taysom Hill so far. I mean, remember the preseason? He was up and down in the preseason when he was getting an extended... Who's that, Taysom? Yeah. I thought Taysom he had a had really a good, good game he against had, the Chargers. He had a one bad game. He had a really good game against the Chargers. The Vikings wasn't very impressive. He had a good game against Jacksonville. He didn't play well against the Vikings. And he hardly he, he played did, against the Vikings. He did okay Jets. against the Vikings. He didn't do as – because that was the game Teddy had a really good game against the Vikings. He had, he had like one bad throw to the tight end he, number 81 in the flat. Here's the scenario. Here's the scenario that I'm, that I'm still not quite 100% on because my vision is – Right now, Breeze is leaning to come back, and he comes back. Taysom comes back with an increased role in 2020. That's what I am. That's where I'm at yeah. in my thinking. But let's just say Breeze retires, and they and Teddy signs elsewhere. What do they do if it's just Taysom? To me, I think you go out and you sign a guy like Marcus Mariota, uh, maybe a, a career you know reclamation project. If you need a guy that Taysom that's that had injury issues in the past or. You know, a, a guy that, that can play similar to Taysom's style, a guy like Mariota would make a lot of sense. Um, but are they – people are laughing, what about Teddy? What about Teddy? And I think it's hard to gauge because I think they know Teddy's going to command a huge salary on the market. And while they love Teddy and would gladly have him as their starting quarterback, I do think there's a number that they – a threshold that they feel like – that's that's we're not gonna uh, pay more than that for um, a, a guy of Teddy's style or what you'd have to do to be successful with a guy like Teddy at quarterback. And so let's say the number for Teddy is twenty-five to thirty a year. I saw Spot Track his uh, free agent valuation. Um, they had the comps, and I've always said he he strikes me as a Garoppolo type. Um, uh, can make some throws, uh, protects the football. Um, plays well off of a running game, a play-action run game, uh, which is what they had basically, um, which, which is what they had when you know Breeze went down. They they utilized the run game. The defense played ridiculously good. Yeah. So that and and basically they used the the Jimmy Garoppolo contract as a comp, and he's at 27 million per year, and it always goes up. Whatever you think it's going to be, it always goes up when free agency hits. So let me ask you this: If you are under the scenario, the scenario Drew Brees retires and the Saints decide to sign Teddy Bridgewater to um, a three-year $75 million or three-year $90 million deal, something in that range, can you still justify the Taysom Hill playing? Well, that's where and – th- see, and that's wh- – because it gets more complicated because – For one, then you have – a unhappy Taysom Hill because now he's behind Teddy Bridgewater. And you only have one more year at that point, which you know. Right. For a fact. At that point. So at that point See, you that, are... See, that, that's where I... That's just why I lean more towards... I think they do not want to let Taysom Hill walk away. They feel like there's so much potential there, he's just scratching the surface. But they also know he's got to get on the field at some point to evolve as a quarterback. Um, and it, the best way to do that possibly is with Breeze's final year. If you don't want to just hand him the keys right now. And what an odd thing to say about a 30-year-old that he has untapped potential. But, you know, if, if Steve Young is indeed the comp for him, you know, this is when he really, Steve Young, you know, moved into that starting role who replaced a legend. As far as I'm concerned, when I was growing up, I, I considered Joe Montana the best in the business. Um, so, 
we'll see. I, I do think it's going to be an interesting offseason. I do think the first shooter has to drop, and hopefully it's this coming soon because it's been about six weeks since the Saints lost to Minnesota. So there's been some time to detach here if you're Drew Brees and get away and, and talk and go to L.A. or go to San Diego where he, he spends a lot of his offseasons, be with the family. But at some point here, the Saints have got to – that's the first domino to fall, and the Saints have got to execute that plan based off of what they think Drew Brees is going to do. You say that, but it's still a month away to free agency. It is, but I, I still think as an organ, I, I guess, you know, who knows what, what they're thinking inside that building. And Super Bowl week is always a good time to kind of rile up storylines. And Taysom Hill was the talk of Meteor Row when Peyton yeah. was there. I mean, it's all anybody wanted to talk about. And I just don't think Sean Payton, with as much as he's improved, like I said before, is going to want to see Taysom walk away. Or, you know, I had a, I was on a radio show, and the, uh, the host asked me, you know, what do you think? Is this more of Peyton putting out there to entice a trade? I'm like, ah, man, I don't know. I guess it's certainly possible, but I just when I, I when it all boils down to it, I just think Sean Payton is that enamored with Taysom Hill. I just I don't think he would trade him unless it, it, who knows? Unless they got a first round. But you see how we're going back and forth? And it's it's it, you can't go all the way one down one road because it's, there's so many different layers to this. And I'll say this: as great as it is right now to speculate and read between the lines. Think five, ten years right. from now, all the crossroads and all the decisions that were made and how we'll be able to look back on it. I just, I, I, for the life of me, I just don't think Sean Payton wants to deal with a rookie anymore. Um, I thought the Gary Grayson experiment was bad for him. Um, he was pretty disgusted with him pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, it really was, it was, it was, I almost felt bad for the kid. It's like, my God, he just got here. Um I think he would rather have a young veteran or a veteran that could take over. Um, and, you know, he's got signed a five-year extension. I would I would imagine it's probably it. I mean, five more years, he'd be in his 60s at that point. Unless Taysom is the next Steve Young. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it, but Taysom, I think Steve Young retired at 38. So you're talking about a window there. He could be your next guy. We'll see. Um, but certainly uh, – it's fun to talk about. It's, it's, we'll be it's, talking it's about give, it more before that 10-year uh, mark that I'm talking about. This is normally a dull period, and it still kind of is, but when you have this type of storyline, it's fun to talk about. And, yeah. um, and I also think we can do a whole podcast just on where Teddy could land, and we're going to do that uh, later this week or maybe into next week because yeah, we learn I think there's a list of teams that could use a guy like that. So it's we'll, an interesting quarterback here. You mentioned Marietta. That's a good fit. Yeah. So, But, hey, talking about looking back. Yeah. Uh, ten years ago, mm-hmm. you took a little little walk down memory lane, back to Miami. Story called "Ambushed," and um, we're gonna run some parts of the interviews later on. But tell us about the story and some of your big takeaways from it. Well, I got the idea. I was watching one of our affiliates uh, shows some, maybe a year or two ago. It was the anniversary of the Bluegrass Miracle. I'm not saying maybe it was Jack Jacques, Hunt. Maybe, maybe it was Jacques Doucet. Jacques Doucet, yep. Who did it. I was like, wow, that's a really cool idea. He had Michael Clayton looking at a, at a video, and um, he was describing what happened on the planet. I said, man, what if we do that for Ambush? And it just so happened that, well, wow, we're 10-year t- mark. Let's do it. So contacted Morstead, of course, he was willing. Contacted Chris Reese, of course. Uh, I was able to track him down. He lives. He's a pastor in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, looks totally different than the long-haired guy he once was. And we were able to, through our LSU connections, get Greg McMahon to come talk to us as well. So we talked about the play. Um, I wanted to break down what actually happened on the play because we talked about the call. And we talked about telling Morstead how nervous he was. We talked about the who performing at halftime. But I don't think anybody's ever actually broken down what happened on the play. And that's what I wanted them to do. So if you saw the piece, you saw Morstead kind of pointing at the screen. I had a laptop for McMahon and Reese. And they all kind of said, it was less about the call and more about adopting the mindset that Peyton wanted with the call, which was, we are here to win. We're going to be bold. We're going to be aggressive. And we're, we are here to win. But really struck me, though, is how much, the, uh, how much of the play did not go according to plan. And the one unsung hero. And, you know, Thomas Morstead said, you know, when you try that play, at the time, it was a 65% success rate. So while it looked like a gamble, when people tried it, if you hit it right, you're more often not going to get it because with the way everything was lined up, it was five guys to the Colts' two, and those two guys are normally retreating back before the kickoff. They noticed that on tape, and Morstead strikes it, 
Sold it great, but basket kind of stays low. Hank basket. And the kick goes 13 and a half instead of 12. If it goes 12, it's, it, basket's got no chance. And what happened was Courtney Roby is supposed to block bra uh, basket. Basket kind of ducks and is able to slide through. And then the ball's on the turf. Reese kind of catches it and, and, and is holding it against his and leg. He, he was not the hands down. guy. He, his job he's, was not to recover he's it. He's there to trail in case something pops out, which is exactly what happened. He's there as insurance in case it pops out and all of a sudden the Colts are running down. It was supposed to be ball. Roman Harper recovering. Roman Harper is supposed to recover the ball with Troy Evans and Courtney Roby blocking two players um, and Marvin Mitchell three on two with Reese trailing behind. Well, basket doesn't bail. Ball bounces off his shoulder into kind of the, 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 the sweaty arms of Chris Reese. It kind of slips through. He's got it pinned. His other arm is, ba um, other arm is back. And then he did a great job explaining what he, he really was going did. through. And he said, all, out of nowhere, on the opposite side of the field, Casillas comes. Poof. And what happened was, and this is really what Reese does a good job of explaining it, he's pinned. So he's got one arm and the ball between his leg, Like, arm, ball, leg. That's how he's got it. Gripped. Yeah, so his... Left shoulder blade is stuck to the ground. Yeah. His right hand is by his thigh mm -hmm. with the ball. And he's kind of holding the ball with his right hand and his thigh. Pinned against his thigh. And the left side of his body is pinned down. There's a whole pile forming on his left side of his body, his yeah. legs. Casillas comes in like across his waistline and clears off that pile and allows him Boom. to bring the ball up the right side That's, of his body. It just it, it jarred the pile so it freed up his arm. And now he's got two hands on it. Now, there's other hands on it as well, but he says, I'm, I'm the only guy. You didn't see it in the piece, but he told me, he goes, I'm the only guy that ever had two hands on it. And he said there's even a point in there where the scrum's going on for 63 seconds, which is an eternity, where he says he believes Casillas has it, and he has it. So he's telling Casillas, Jonathan, let go. I have it. But Casillas didn't want to let go of it because, yeah, you frankly, don't know who that voice, who, who that is. voice yeah. is. And then they unpile the bodies, unpile, unpile. And then, lo and behold, boom. They well, get, they, and initially, they, a ref was trying to say blue ball. And Reese yells at him, no, I have the ball. I have the ball. So they're clearing out people. It was, and I watched it again. It was pretty violent. Like, not just the, the scrum for the ball, but, like, the players around it pulling, pulling guys off. There was shoving. There was a, a few haymakers thrown. It was like, and it's chaotic, and it's on the Saints' sideline. Who knows how much that helped. I mean, I'm sure it did, but I think it helped more that Reese had the ball. Yeah. And so they give the ball, and then they go, and they finally they say, white ball. Reese says his forearms are burning. His shoulder's all jacked up. His, his from, from, you know, elbow to wrist is just covered. It's just red. And he's like, I don't know how. I'm going to go back out and, and play special teams the rest of this game. <laughs> no grip strength. And it just, all of a sudden, they got the ball. They go down and score. And we know what happened. They went on and, and won the Super Bowl. But, you know, that play – he said it really it, it changed his life. It really changed his life. He was basically a 53 guy, 53rd guy on a roster to pretty much a Super Bowl hero, and it opened the door for him. He wrote a book with his dad. His dad had uh, had battled uh, alcohol. Uh, alcohol. You know, he was an alcoholic. Um, he's become a pastor in Georgia. He's got five kids. Not in Georgia. In Lafayette. He's from Georgia. Um, and I looked at some of his stuff on YouTube. I mean, he's he's impressive as a as a pastor and almost like. Pastor in a sense of a motivational speaker, not necessarily um, down, you know, reciting scripture every, every, you know. Every you, you can hear it in, in the audio that we're going to play. He's, he's a very captivating speaker. And um, in, in listening to him and talking about being in the pile, you almost forget for a second that you know he's going to recover. Right. You exactly. know how it ends. It's like, but it's what tense. Like, what happened? And sure enough, uh, they get the ball. And they go down, and they win the Super Bowl. And it's still known as, as one of the gutsiest calls in NFL history. Yeah. Um, not the first time it's happened. Bill Cowher did it back in the, the Cowboys-Steelers Super Bowl in the 90s. But it wasn't it, – they didn't win that game, so no one really remembered mm. it. Um, but it was a ballsy, gutsy call. Yeah. They get the ball. They go down. They win it. You know, I could have did it on, on the, the, Harp, the Porter interception as well. Um, but a pick six is, is going to normally happen in, in the normal flow of a game. That can It's not a crazy thing to happen, whereas a, a surprise onside kick certainly um, is uh, less likely to happen. And I just wanted to get into what happened on the play and how you plan, you plan, you plan. Half of the plan goes according to it, but at some point you got to adjust on the fly and you got to make a play. 
And that's kind of what football is all about. And I'm not sure if I'd ever heard Jonathan Casillas get so much credit for that. And another interesting epilogue on it is you mentioned Greg McMahon. He's now at LSU. Uh, I believe it was Larry Holder reported that McMahon had tentative plans Mm -hmm. to execute that same type of play, an onside kick, to start the second half of the college football playoff national championship against Clemson. But, of course, LSU had an 11-point lead. It wasn't necessary. They elected not to do it. Remember the circumstance. You know, the Saints had the ball last. They closed out the half with a Garrett Hartley 40-plus-yard field goal, made it 10-6. They kick off, onside kick. They recover. They go down. A pretty. If you really go back and watch that game, it was a lot of quick passes. Breeze didn't go deep much. It was a lot of underneath quick passes. So they kind of steadily went downfield. I'd have to see how long that drive was. So it went from second to last drive of the first half, 45-minute halftime show. Right. Uh, onside kick, Saints drive. That's like an hour and a half before Peyton had the ball. and He's a rhythm guy. So it really was a smart move. Um, and it really just goes to show you just, you know, you, you got you to gotta adopt a certain mindset. You have to, um, you have to have a plan. You have to study it. But – Sometimes when the plan doesn't work exactly according to, where, to, to you know, the way you draw it up, you got to be able to just be there and just improvise on the fly, and that's what they did. Right on. All right. I'll tell you what. We will go ahead and play the audio. Um, let's do it in the order of about Reese first, then Morstead, then McMahon. Mm-hmm. So we will leave you with that. Uh, but for now, I'll let Sean send it out. All right. Before you go, a quick reminder and request to subscribe to this podcast channel to automatically get all of our content. Also, please rate and review the podcast to help spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, use the Final Play app or Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. That'll do it for us. We'll talk to you next time on Overtime. Stay tuned for Reese Morstead and McMahon. From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. All right, Chris, thanks for joining us. Um, Ten years later, here we are, uh, breaking down with... uh, Best be described as the gutsiest call maybe in Super Bowl history. You had a part in it uh, as a special teams player. So I wanted you uh, to help me kind of break down what happened on this play. I don't think anybody's ever really broke down what actually happened. We, talk, we know about the call. We know how gutsy it was. You got the recovery. But yeah. between the call and the recovery, a lot of stuff happened here. So yeah. you could just kind of sure. walk me through. Okay, here we are. We're right. Yeah, so Thomas's approach, he wanted to make look as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't want to give anything away, and I think that's funny. Coming out of the halftime, we all wanted to line up and do the same routine that we always had, and uh, I think all of us were a little paranoid that we were going to tip it off in the biggest game of the year, the right. gutsiest call. We're going, we don't want to give this away. So Thomas's approach was paramount because the way he had to approach it was the same, but the way he had to kick it was completely different. So as he approached, and we're all running, taught to run at the line, now the only person that was gonna do anything different would have been me. Right. Because I loop behind everybody, and we'll see that in just a second, but I mean, Thomas's approach is, is crucial right here. So he kicks it, yep. and then kick, kick, pause. Yeah. So here's you right here. That's, that's me. So Troy Evans is there. He's, he's the five closest to Thomas. I'm the four. Um, I was to run at the line and then loop around. And you kind of see me looping right here. Thomas actually hit a pretty good kick, if you realize it. Yeah. But the problem was is that we, we thought the Colts would go back further right. and kind of a little earlier. So it would drop right there. Roman Harper's there. And it would just be easy. We right. celebrate. You know. It, on surface, it looks like one, two, three, four, five over two. So it looks like you kind of have numbers. We here. definitely have numbers because you got Roby. Um, I think that's Marvin Mitchell you got yeah. over here that's going to go cap those guys off. I think Troy was going to go pick this guy. So honestly, should have been an easy recovery. Right. But the Colts didn't do what we thought they would do. Right. And Thomas hit a great ball. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the way that the football is shaped too, yeah. it kind of bounces a little funny. Yeah. And we ended up getting it. So he, he comes close. He almost catches it. Yep. And then, so right here, it looks like you're going to get a clean recovery, but then for all intents and purposes, 
yeah. hell breaks loose here. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so, so what happens here? Yeah, so uh, bounces off of Hank Basket here in the Colts player. He he probably should have should have gotten it. I mean, yeah. it, and Thomas probably hit it a little deeper than he thought he was going to hit it. He wanted to hit it about 12 yards, yeah. and it's about 15. So that makes a big difference. Um, you know, we didn't get we didn't get 52 like we thought we were going to get picked off, and so I'm I'm running towards it, not thinking that the ball is going to come bouncing off. I thought I was going to go in there and spear him and try to grab it away. So as I see the ball coming at me, I just kind of throw my hands and body at it, and I'm not a receiver by right. any means. Right. Uh, and as you can see, it's kind of to the side of me, and as I'm going down, um, it just kind of slips in between my arms and my legs, and it's kind of a bang bang play. Yeah. You see it in slow-mo all the time, you know, 10 years ago, right. and you're going, oh, you should have caught that. Right. It's, uh, it was a lot more difficult than people thought it would be. So this, you almost have it here. Yep. Then, then the scrum breaks. Yeah. Now, Thomas was very quick to say the unsung hero in this play was John Cassis coming in and kind of spearing Bassett because right now the ball's kind of is – it, is it juggling in your hand right here? Is it like kind of secure, kind of not? Yeah. This scenario? And there's different angles here uh, that you can see, but – I'm the guy underneath, we're right. right there, and I have it pinned against my side at this time. Okay. So I lost it for a second, went between my arms, my legs, and then I end up pinning it on my side. But what, what Casillas does so well is you have all these guys coming in that are, that are grabbing at it, and he just kind of jarred the pile loose because what you can't see is Roman and this other Colts player over here are laying on top of me. So one arm is pinned and the other arm is holding onto the ball. Right. I'm the most exposed I can be. Right. And so I, I wanna get out of there right. and I wanna get a hold, two hands on the ball. Um, and so they dive in, and I don't think Casillas was even trying to do this. Right. He was trying to go for the ball. Right. But what happened is it kind of jarred the pile a little bit, and you'll see it as we go. It jarred the pile a little bit that allowed me to free up my arm in just a second. You see it right there. And I was able to kind of, you can't you even see it. I readjusted bit. my arm and was able to just kind of hold it. Now, I'm still exposed. And see, Casillas is grabbing at it. This guy over here is grabbing at it. So people ask me all the time, did it change hands in, in, in the play? No, it didn't change any hands, right. but I'll tell people this, everybody had a hand on it right. though. Because it wasn't, I had it secure with both hands. I was probably one of the few that had both hands on it. Okay. Everybody else, if you see Casillas is trying to grab at it, he kind of put one, one hand on it. This guy over here is diving in. He tried to pull it, but I kind of pulled it up towards my, my, my belly, my stomach at yeah. that time and just was holding on for dear life right. at that point. So then the ref starts jumping in and everybody kind of piles on and it goes black. So at this point where this looks very, this looks violent right here. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. is going on underneath this scrum right here? I mean, this feels like there's a lot of clawing, scratching. What's going on underneath this pile right here? Yeah, um, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, my focus is the ball and the right. ball only. And it's, Can you breathe? I mean, it looks like Yeah. I mean, Roman's on top of me. Yeah. This guy's on top of me. There's four other guys there. The focus is the ball. Mm -hmm. So no one's, no one's doing anything dirty or not that I can remember. Right. Um, but it's a violent game. Right. And so it's going to be violent. I think I look back now and I'm going, man, it was pretty violent. But there, we were so focused on getting the ball. Yeah. I mean, violence was just, it's a part of the game. Right. So for me, the focus was on the ball. I mean, I, I could I breathe? I'm not sure. I was holding <laughs> my breath and just holding on for dear life. And you can kind of see the stripe of my helmet right there, barely oh, right wow, there, the is. stripe. <laughs> so that's me and I'm holding on. So you finally see that I'm kind of looking at the ball and then everybody piles on and this ref right here jumps on the pile, mm -hmm. which didn't help, but he jumped <laughs> on the pile trying to see the ball. He's right. trying to see who has it. And they couldn't make a call because they couldn't see exactly. There were so many hands on right. it. They couldn't see who actually had a grip on it. Right. Um, but the whole time, I, I definitely had it. Now, Thomas said he's, he runs in and he heard the ref say blue ball. And yeah. He heard you say, no, no, I have it. Yeah. I have it. Is that, so is that what happened? Absolutely. So, so he's saying blue ball, blue ball. Uh -huh. um, I'm yelling at the ref. He, Thomas comes in. You know, you, they don't have scrums like this anymore. Right, they, they, exactly. You can't do some right. of these things um, that we're doing here. But the referee is, is right, behind, right next to Thomas and he's trying to look for the ball and he's saying blue ball. I look up at him, I scream that I have the ball. Right. Like I, cause I have both hands on it. I have the ball right. right here. So I'm yelling, I'm screaming, it's white ball. Um, I actually yell at Jonathan who's right there. 
I yell at Casillas and I go, let go of the ball. Because I felt like it was me and him right. that were really fighting for it. Right. I didn't even know if these Colts guys had it. I mean, some of them look at them are just trying to, right, just kind of they're just, trying to get in there right, and just, just havoc, yeah, right. and that's, I, I don't think anybody has it. I think, right. I felt like me and Jonathan were the whole time fighting over it. Right. So, but he wasn't going to let go of it because he didn't know who had right. it. And then I wasn't going to let go of it. So there was a lot of chaos going on. So it ends up, they uncover yep. the bodies. Yeah, I mean, and the pile gets bigger. Right. So you can't do this anymore. That's right. illegal. All of this stuff is look, illegal. Look at, look at that. I mean, this so the ball is, is right there. He thinks he has it. 63 seconds it took them. Look, he's under that pile. Yeah. There's really only two or three guys. Right. It's me, Jonathan, and, and whoever that is. I don't so even know. So when you hear, you see, well, I don't know if you ever actually see him do this. Never but see him. Hear it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's, there's the. Uh, the you know the the, the yeah. happiness afterwards, but sure. while you're in there, I told Thomas this. I'm curious your take. Yeah, you can sense the desperation in that in that scrum because that's yeah. a possession in the yeah. Super Bowl. Like Absolutely. you can sense that. Like that's. It's almost like life or death, right? That we got to get this ball. No, it, it felt like it. It, it absolutely. We were desperate for that ball. Um, I didn't know when they called it, mm -hmm. so I had no idea. Um, so I was going to hold on to that ball. Mm. And that's why the final, the last, you know, five seconds of that scrum, um, I, I didn't hear it, but I just felt this lifting off of bodies. So I yanked it and just ripped it and got up as quick as I could right. at that point. But there was an absolute desperation for that ball. I mean, that 63 seconds, I don't think I've seen a scrum that long before um, in any game. How beat up were you after? Were you all marked up or were you all uh, um, scratched let me, up? Let me say this. Uh, walking off the field, you know, they have pictures of me that they took and like the shoulder pad uh, the, is, is, you know, my, my jersey is all jacked up and my hands and my forearms were burning. I mean, literally, like, it, I, was, I was physically exhausted after that. Like, I sat on the bench, gave the ball to our, our equipment guy, hold on to the ball. And I was, I was literally, I was physically done. Right. I, I just, I didn't know how I was going to go back out there for special teams. Right. Like I, I was, I was, it took everything out of me to, to, to keep that ball. It was, it was pretty crazy. Wow. Um, and now here we are, 10 years later, 10 years later. people are still talking about it. Um, what's, what's it been like for yeah. you to just be a part of that? And did it change your life at all? I mean, how, how, yeah. how, what, what has it been like for you? It is life-changing. It has been life-changing. Um, not just the fame, the 15 minutes of what I call 15 minutes of fame that people recognize me, but the fact that every year um, I'm interviewed or I get called or it's one of the top greatest plays in Super Bowl or even Saints history or NFL history, to be a part of a play like that is, is humbling. Um, and that opened the door for a lot of opportunities, opened the yeah. door for what I'm doing now. Um, and so it's, it's, really, it's really cool to have a platform like that to be able to go in and speak to people and encourage people because that's been my passion. Mm -hmm. And that play has opened up a lot of doors. So it's, it's, been, it's been a unique experience to go from a zero, and I know it wasn't a zero, but right. go from a zero to a hero. I mean, I have people 10 years later coming up to me, grown men crying, yeah. tears in their eyes saying, thank you for what you've done. And 10 years later, and I think that's just what we do here in Louisiana and we appreciate everything that the Saints do and everything that people do here in the local sports. Oh, I was asking a few guys, every year Super Bowl comes and goes and every year the Saints have not been in it since. Yeah. You, you, you realize just how, the further away you get from 09, yeah. I think the, the more you appreciate how just special that group sure. was. I mean, do you, do you kind of get that nostalgic feeling every time the Super Bowl rolls around? I do, absolutely. I, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day. This, this week, the Super Bowl week reminds me, it brings back a lot of memories. Mm -hmm. um, and I told them this, very few of them have to do with football. Yeah. A lot of them have to do with the guys. Right. And so when we had our 10-year reunion um, in December, it was so special coming back. And we didn't talk very any football, very much right. football. We talked all relationships. What are they doing now? Do you guys remember when we did this, when we hazed the rookies, when, right. we, when we, you know, we had some special times together that just, it brings back so many memories. And Joe Vitt said it best, uh, you know, our linebacker coach, he said, you know, if you win, you walk together forever. And there is, that is an absolute true statement. And I don't think it's just with us as players. I think it's us with the city. All these guys, very few of them actually live in New Orleans now. And so, but we're always going to be connected to New Orleans and the state of Louisiana. Uh, I was asking uh, a few other guys, uh, when you think of the day, February yeah. 7th, 2010, yeah. I mean, kind of what, what's, what's the feeling that you get? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I feel proud. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm humbled to be a part of, of something so great. Yeah. Um, some, some years I forget that that day, you know, is, is the special, the day, right. you know, and uh, people will text me and they'll put stuff on Facebook or Instagram or wherever and it'll just remind me of the special times that we had. I'm, I'm humbled to be a part of that team, to be a part of that play and, and, and what happened in New Orleans, how special it was following Katrina and it really, it was a special time. It's funny, I asked Thomas that. He had that, that pause, just like you did. <laughs> yeah. I think that you take it all in for a second. You it do. Really, it really was that, that, that special. It's, I, there's something there you yeah. can't put your finger on. Right. And you can't replicate it with money. You can buy all the great players that you can. You can there is that intangible quality of a team that can't be deduced to a formula. It can't be put in a bottle. Um, it's something that just happens, and when you catch it, you 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 love it. Right. You don't want it to let go of right. it. So um, it's so hard to explain the yeah. way that feels, but it's it's special. This is the first time you've ever attempted an onside kick in your life, at least definitely professionally. I don't know anywhere else. I mean, just the first time you ever attempted one in a game ever. A surprise, yeah. I did one in high school, but it was not a surprise. Not a surprise. Okay. So what's going through your mind right here? Um, by this moment, I'm pretty confident. I'm, uh, you know, adrenaline's coursing through me, and um, you know, but I feel good about doing it. Now this is a surprise, so you know you're going to have not as many players as you normally would have on an onside kick to go down. Um, are you trying to? You banking on the Colts just kind of retreating back quickly? Was that what you guys saw on film before? Well, so you can see here, we're kicking from the right hash. Mm -hmm. And the whole season, uh, right here, we're kicking from the right hash. And the whole season, we had kicked from the right hash to the, to the deep right corner. So the front line guys that are blocking, uh, they know that too, right? Mm -hmm. And so the guys that's, that's all the way to our left, which is Hank Basket, he's kind of out leveraged to block his guy mm -hmm. if we're kicking all the way to the opposite corner and so sometimes guys will leave early to, to try to hedge their bet and so we use that as as an advantage for us. I was going to line it up for the same spot, take my same steps as I always did and then try to pump the brakes and hit it all the way back. Was Basket the, the one that you guys had keyed in on, on film that had retreated early or was it was their whole kind of front line? Well I think it was just if you looked at all the teams that we played against, yeah. you know this is back when we're kicking off from the 30s so there weren't as many touchbacks. And so um, because we always kicked it to that back corner, mm -hmm. teams knew that we were doing that. And so they would, you know, because you have to honor the width of the kind of the kickoff formation, um, uh, a lot of teams would, that guy would kind of cheat because mm -hmm. it was almost, it was almost unreasonable to ask him to do his job without leaving early. Gotcha. And so um, that was kind of what we were banking on. And obviously we've already kicked off at this point in the mm -hmm. game. So right. coach has seen you know, if if guys are retreating or mm. or um, if we feel like the the advantage is there, and you know, even if guys don't bail, you know, it's still really five guys against two mm. on that side, and um, you know, the the percentages of getting a surprise onside kick this year were about sixty five percent. You would get it mm. regardless of the kick, and so um, you know, it was the, it was the odds that you know coach felt good about and. Um, this game was a little less about field position and more about possessions. Mm -hmm. and so Coach Payton you know, felt like it was a good gamble to make. All right, we're going to play it out here. So Basket, did he just recover easier or did he, re did he recover quicker than you guys expected? Because he almost makes yeah, this catch. he really didn't bail. You could see Courtney was supposed to block him and he kind of, uh, you know, it's a quick bang-bang deal. Yeah. And so Hank kind of slipped inside of him and he, we didn't hit him. So really, there's supposed to be no cult, like we should be recovering that ball. Cleanly. Cleanly, and we didn't. Um, and so we missed him, but obviously the, the ball is spinning. It's not an end over end ball, so it was not a, an easy ball to just, it wasn't just like an easy kind of thing to read. And so um, <clears throat> obviously we were fortunate that he wasn't able to, to handle it immediately. Um, and, you know, Roman is supposed to be um, recovering this ball. Chris Reese is playing the four position, and he is supposed to loop back around in case anything pops out. Okay. And so he's, you know, this is one of those teach tapes that you put on for young kids about 
being accountable to your teammates, right. you never know how things are going to go. And he was the insurance policy kind of looping back around in case that ball popped out. And then so these two guys right here are supposed to block the front line guy, the uh, yeah, 81, 81 and 52. Everybody that's passed is supposed to block. Roman's supposed to be getting the ball. Chris is the insurance policy. And then the unsung hero of the play is Jonathan Casillas here. Yeah. Um, you'll notice as you play this clip yeah. that Jonathan's actually going to come in and spear. That, going to spear a basket again, which doesn't allow him to get the ball. Um, and you can see everybody rallying, but Jonathan Casillas rallying made a big difference in that play. Yeah, he's Chris kind of had that ball between his legs, mm -hmm. but he didn't have it like secured in yeah. his body yet. And Hank Basket had a shot at it, and Casillas speared him pretty good. Now, I noticed that on the onside kick, you had this vision of an onside kick in your head, the 10 yards, the high kick, and you yep. get right at the 10-yard mark where the, 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 the line for uh, an onside kick has to be. Yours went about about 13 to 14 yards. Yep. Was that by design, or was that just, hey, I don't want to underkick this thing? Yeah, I think you had your bet. I mean, you know, if this is the 10-yard mark here. If, if, you, if you miss short, you know, that's, that, that'll make you look like a, uh, a goat, right, a bad goat. And so... My aiming spot was about 12, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's a little adrenaline pushed that a little further than I would have liked. Um, but it was still a clean picture, right? You want to give yourself a chance, and um, you know, so. And, and the tough thing about that ball is I'm angled to kick this ball all the way across the other way, mm -hmm. and so being able to sell that and kick this ball back, it had to be kind of a spinner as opposed to an end around ball. Yeah, I want to go back to that because. So you I'm have kicking, to sell I'm the deep here. Right. This is my was out five yards outside the numbers deep. That was kind of my, um, you know, my plus grade mm -hmm. when I was kicking off was being able to put it there. And so, it's actually uh, pretty interesting that um, that they're actually keyed in here, mm -hmm. a little tighter in here on the ball, and out wide. But you can see if this guy has to block, his three normally would be in here. Mm -hmm. And so he's out leveraged to go block a guy over here. Okay. Because we're kicking it all the way out here. I got gotcha. you. So a lot of times that guy will leave early. But he really hung in pretty good on yeah. the play. When you go to kick it, I wish I could slow it up, but at what point are you selling, selling, selling? At what point do you have to basically show it that I'm, that I'm onside kicking? Very last step. I remember feeling like as I was taking these steps, I was like trying to high knee it to really sell yeah. that I was going to kick this ball. And then it's wham right across. Let's see if we uh, let's see if we can get it here. So it's basically regular, 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 regular onside kick last second. Yeah, last step. Remember pumping the brake and being able to get this ball all the way across because you can see he has not bailed. Mm -hmm. He's watching the ball, uh, but he's ten yards off of this ten yard restraining line, and our guys are running full exactly. speed. So we've got the advantage. He's going this way, and he's facing the wrong way. So it's really two against five. And you can see Casillas over here. Yeah. He that's such a great play by that him. That really is. He is out of the play mm. and he makes he makes the play here. Wow. So it's so, pretty cool. So the kick happens. And you'll see the ball squeezes out right here. And he knocks in the basket. He's on the ground trying to get that ball. How violent was this scrum right here? It just felt like well, they you were... You have to ask Chris. <laughs> I'm going to ask Chris that when I see him tomorrow. I but just remember seeing him in the shower after the game, and he had scratches and I can only marks all over his body. Because, I mean, guys, a possession in the Super Bowl, guys are doing anything they can to win this game. And it was a long scrum, and, um, you know, I just remember... I remember hearing Chris's voice at the bottom of the pile as they were starting to kind of say, blue ball, and he was saying, I, ref, ref, I got the ball <laughs> in my hands. I have the ball. <laughs> it's Saints ball, and, uh, but this was a long scrum. I think you can feel, and you kind of mentioned it, you can feel the desperation right Correct. here. It, this is By our ball. It, this, is, this, is, this is life or death right here. Yes. All, I mean, a, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah. you can just feel the desperation. Like, no, no, it's our ball, our ball, our ball. And then uncovers. I mean, look at that. There'd be all sorts of flags right. in today's game if this had happened. You can see I mean, they're fighting right other, there. Pushing each other. Yeah. And then the celebration. I remember hearing Shockey screaming at the top of <laughs> Wow. So everybody gets uncovered here. You can see we missed there. Yeah. We should have had him blocked. And Roman's just the backstop. Roman's supposed to get this ball. Chris Reese is the insurance on the in case it pops back, and then right here Casillas is coming back to play. And you can see Troy going to get his guy. Uh, so you know, 
regardless how the ball bounces, you know, it was a good. It was a, the people say, "Wow, that's such a gamble," but, the but odds, it really isn't. Let me look at the this. Odds, There's one, two, correct. three, four, five. The odds are on our side, and you can see that if if I do hit this ball here, it shouldn't even be close. Right. right? This was the ideal spot. Yeah. So it was a little deep. Wow. But the odds were still there, and uh, it was funny because even like sideline. Coach told the offense to go sit on the bench. He didn't want them up or looking because oh, okay. everybody knew we were running the play. Yeah. He didn't want it to look like we were anything was out of the norm as far as us kicking an onside kick, right? They were all sitting on the bench and then came over. As you can see, guys jumping up off the bench immediately. Immediately, because they knew it was coming. Yeah, they knew it was coming, but they were waiting for it to happen. I don't know how often you guys have, or you have ever thought of this, but has it ever crossed your mind? Do we still win this game without this, without ambush? I, Not, I think the way the game was being played, it was a good game. I still think you probably could have. Won yeah, this game. look, I, I think I think we could have, and I and I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that it was the odds were against us. Yeah. You know, um, it just it was one of those deals where you know every game you could play it ten times and it'd be different every time, right. and so you just don't ever know. So I, I haven't really thought about that yeah. now. But it was it's been cool to, you know, personally it's been great for me. Uh, this is the most pressure feeling I've ever had in my, you know, athletic career, and for us to get it done in the biggest moment um, is—I've been able to lean on that. You know, being a specialist, there's so much mental game to that, and you know, nobody feels great all the time and feels great about themselves and their ability all the time. And so, to to be able to draw on experiences where you've gotten it done, um, it kind of can fool you into having more confidence in other games yeah. that you're maybe lacking a little bit. And you got it so this, this happened so early in your career. Yeah, and so it's been a blessing for me in, in that regard. And then also just um, on a personal level, it's been, it's so cool to be a part of um, so many people's life history. Like people that are Saints fans for generations, like when they see me, they know where they were, they know the family members that they were watching the game with. Like it's, it's kind of like, um, it's one of the you know highlights of, of a lot of people's family history almost yeah. you know everybody knows where they were and who they were with and how they felt and uh, and, and to be part of that and such a positive kind of memory is pretty cool. Have y'all tried it again? Yeah, you know it's funny we ran it in 2011 against the Minnesota Vikings uh, in the old Minnesota Stadium. Yeah, okay. And yeah. we hit it perfect, and it went straight to our guy. It was better than this, right. and we muffed it, and we didn't, oh, and then they, and they got it. Yeah. So you know, you can draw it up right, and it doesn't work, and and you can have a few things not go right, and it ends up working out. You know what I mean? It's more about the gamble and playing the odds, and the odds said that we would get that ball, and um, you know, glad it worked out in this one instead it of the really other one. Kind of, I guess, kind of embodies football in that this preparation, you got to take a risk, and it went off his plan, but then there's still an element of you got to have effort to finish this off because without the effort, they may have recovered this. I mean, because I mean, a guy coming yeah. in from the opposite side to finish this off, to, to help recover the ball in a desperate situation like this, it really kind of encapsulates everything really in football. Yeah, look, I think, I think effort has to be there regardless, right? And if you don't have that, then you shouldn't be playing. But it, it does prove or confirm validity about, um, it, it confirms validity about uh, being accountable to your teammates mm -hmm. and doing, you know, doing your job because you don't know when it's going to matter and when it's going to, when it's not going to matter. But it's not up to you to pick and choose when you think it was going to matter or not, right? You just need to, everybody needs to be accountable to everybody else on the team, and um, everybody just needs to be accountable to everybody on the team. And this is a great example of everything didn't go exactly as we planned, but everybody was where they were supposed to be doing their job to the best of their ability, and it worked out. So you kind of now, not just Saints history, but NFL history, that, that's kind of, it's, it's etched in a lot of people's minds. It was the biggest gamble, the, the gutsiest yeah. call. I mean, what is that like, just kind of be a part of, I guess you could say NFL history there, I mean. Yeah, look, it's cool. Um, you know, I guess as a specialist, to be known for your shortest kick of your career <laughs> and it be a good thing right. uh, is, is nice instead right. of it being a, some sort of shank or something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't even look at it so much as that. I just think it, it was awesome to be able to just do my little piece um, in route to 
all the collective pieces and winning a Super Bowl and doing that all together, uh, just having our 10th anniversary and getting everybody back and seeing everybody, it was it was better than you can imagine. And you know, walking together forever. Right. I know everybody's talked about that. Uh, that was true. It was it was just so cool to see everybody, and we did that together. And you you and Drew were the last two left. I mean, yeah, you had to have been thinking at that point, and everybody thinks this after they win, that it's gonna be the first of many, right? That's gonna be. I mean, yeah. Every year that passes, and I wrote about this in my blog. I just realized how, how hard it is and how rare this team was right here to finish finish it off like that. Yeah, look, it's, you know, we've been, a, I've been a part of a lot of awesome teams here and uh, some arguably more talented or uh, better production uh, than this 09 team. So, <clears throat> you know, you have to, you obviously have to have the right people. Um, you've got to have the ball bounce your way a few times, right? This ball bounced our way in this play, you know? Um, and so it's very difficult to get back, obviously, because um, it's been 10 more seasons still, and we haven't been able to get back. We've been close a few times. Um, but it, I think it makes that even more special now, realizing how difficult it is. All right, Coach. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yes. Uh, uh, February 7, 2010 is a day we all know, a day we all remember, mm -hmm. and it's coming up the 10-year anniversary uh, of the Saints Super Bowl win. Um, and as we know, this play right here, ambush, was one of the probably the most memorable play uh, mm -hmm. from that game. I wanted to talk to you because you had a hand in obviously mm -hmm. preparing the play. Right. What did you see on film, and what what made you feel good about executing what is a pretty gutsy play? Well. Uh you know, uh, Sean wanted to steal a, a possession, certainly, and, and their their field goal rush was the most conservative we'd played all year. Double, you know, double, triple stacks, uh, not a lot of perimeter rushes, uh, balanced fronts, and then you look at their punt return, it was very similar. It was a lot of safe looks, a lot of stack looks, a lot of conservative looks, but then when you put their kickoff return team, you, you know, you saw their left tackle bailing from the preseason games all the way through to the to the championship game where you could see the same look over and over and over so you could tell that that uh, there was something that we wanted to try to take advantage of how much time did you guys spend throughout the two weeks two weeks between the NFC championship game and the Super Bowl did you work on it every single day how, how often did you work on the actual play when you were preparing for it? well um, it, the way it evolved was John Carney at the time had retired and John was working as a consultant that year and and John came early in the season and said, man, you need to see Thomas. You know, that was the first year Thomas had ever kicked yeah. off. He had not been a kickoff guy, and so he's basically self-taught. Right. And so um, he came up with this ambush kick, and we had run it years before with Linda Mare. And, uh, and so uh, John came and said, man, you need to check this out. And, man, he had a great hit with it. So Thomas had worked it all through the year, and we kind of hit it periodically with the team. And then when we saw this look is when we really started emphasizing it. All right, so, so walk me through it here because um, – this is the start. Mm -hmm. So, I guess is it right now? Everyone has to act cool. Has to act like everything is normal. Because this yeah. is a surprise. This is a normal onside kick. Right. So everything has to look like status quo. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's certainly deception involved. Yeah. And if you remember, uh, Sean had gotten to where we were kicking the ball over to our sideline, which yeah. is a significant deal as you get into the scrum. But yeah, it's the big thing is two things is you 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 have to be on sides because there's. You know his his momentum is going to change right at the tail end, and so you don't want to be in front of the kick. Right. You have to be legal, and so uh, and then certainly you want to try to make it all look the same as as you did the the lead in kicks before it. Yeah. yeah. And they told me uh, both Chris and Thomas both told me Hank Basket doesn't bail as as far, mm -hmm. so he's actually in position to make the play right mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, is that a oh no moment? Is that a uh, wait? This may not work as well. I mean, I, when when you see mm -hmm. it and he didn't bail as far as, as maybe you yep. thought he would have. Yep. Well, it, 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 certainly um, him bailing. There's going to be. A I mean, that's just my feeling. There was going to be a reaction to the kick, and if you'll notice, the L two is is Courtney Roby, uh, and what Courtney wants to do is he wants to try to put a hat on basket. Mm -hmm. Well, we lose leverage on that block, and you'll see. Because uh, Chris comes in behind in case the ball bails out, and then Roman's behind it. Well, you know, a lot of times in practice when Roman would get the ball mm -hmm. with Courtney trying to cap the, the, the tackle, and so you've got an over-the-top player and a behind-the-player, and then the guy that really kind of makes things happen is Jonathan Casillas comes over mm -hmm. and jars the ball. Chris had, Chris had hands on the ball, I'm sure he probably, yeah. but, but being able to finish the, the recovery, but by, by uh, Casillas going in there and kind of, 
punch in the pile, yeah. he was able to get the completion of the re so of the recovery. Here. Mm -hmm. So right here, right now, is it true that it basically the the I guess the ideal version of this play is block block, That's and the right. ball kind of just goes right to Roman. That's right. And Reese's is really just kind of an insurance safety valve in case in case happens, which it does. Yeah. And it's, but but really, and if you when we ran it against the Jaguars, the guy who recovered it was the one, which is where Roman is, mm -hmm. and so. Uh, but that's why you put a guy over the top and a guy behind it, or uh, so that if that ball, because it's a football, it's the it's the only ball in sport that has two points on it. Nice. It's not round. Right. So how that thing hits and how you recover it. So, you, uh, but I thought the guys that executed it well, and like I said, the the one look is 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 we're really trying to put a hat on basket, and yeah. then and then it's on him because his momentum's going to start back, and then he's got to put his foot in the ground and then come back on the ball. And those are th those are not easy recoveries. I yeah. mean, even if you do it on air, it's still something you have to work on. With your tackles, I know we do. Yeah. Would you say that was kind of an impressive play by Basket to kind of shake the block yeah. and be in position? Absolutely, and he's a good athlete, yeah. and so absolutely, man, um, without a doubt, I feel, I feel like he did a great job as far as reacting. So now, balls. Mm -hmm. So now that now basically all hell breaks loose right here, and right. this is uh, just insane. This is the mm -hmm. longest scrum. I uh, Chris Reese said 63 seconds. So uh, Chris, Chris Tyler, back and forth. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah evidently he knew. Yeah. Uh, as a coach, what do you think right here? Do you, are you thinking no way we have it? This that. I mean, what, what do you think uh, at this moment? Well, I, I felt like as you look at the play, I felt like we had the ball the whole time. Mm -hmm. And when the scum, when the scrum uh, occurs, that's when they're trying. The officials are trying to get in who's got the ball and all those things. But I really, I, I felt like any, as you look at the play, Chris has his hands all over the ball. Yeah. We're the only guy in position, so now he's just got in my just finish it. Mm -hmm. You know, come up with the ball, and uh, you know the rules are changed now. Yeah. So now you can't go into the pile and pull pull guys off and rip guys off. You know, they changed that rule in the NFL. But but it, our guys are trying to get their guys off, our guys off, and so it's it's literally a scrum. Yeah. But that's where I thought Sean did a great job of putting it on our sideline. Right. Uh, to where that discussion can happen on our side. Right. Right. Um, it almost felt, uh, uh, Reese had said this and Thomas had said this, it almost feels like when you watch this, you can feel the desperation of the moment. Like, we've got to get this ball. Sure. Both teams, because it's, it's a possession in the Super Bowl. You That's can just right. feel mm -hmm. how intense this moment is right here. It's game-changing play. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's Look, it's player-driven. It'll always be player-driven. And it's it's Roman Harper, it's Courtney Roby, it's it's Chris Reese, it's Casillas, Hargrove, it's it's all those guys you saw them, and they're out there and and at the end of the day get in position to make a play and they made a play, they figured it out. <laughs> have you ever? I don't know, I, I don't know why you would, but have you? Did you guys have another plan in case you didn't get the onside kick? Like, was it just going to be all right? We'll just play the rest of the game out. I mean, had it not gone, I guess what I'm asking is, had it not. And you know, guys not recovered, and Indianapolis has the ball here in great field position. I mean, mm -hmm. do you, how confident would you have been? I mean, I, it was still a pretty close game at that point. Listen, they're, they're game-changing plays, but at the end of the day, why are we running the play? Because we have to steal a possession. To win the game, and that's where I thought Sean did a great job, man. The DNA of every game is different. And in this game, you know, we've got a great team. They've got a great team. They've got a first-bout Hall of Fame quarterback. we got a first-bout Hall of Fame quarterback. So... Getting a possession of the ball was going to be the difference in the game. And I thought Sean did a great job of really challenging us coaches. Hey, we got to find a way to get this ball. And uh, uh, so uh, the risk-reward, I felt like the risk was way more important than reward right there. And, and, and at the end of the day, you got to take chances to win championships. You do. And uh, so if, if we didn't get the ball, our defense has got to go out and they got to stop them. To win this championship, we got to stop them. Now it's, you know, it's been 10 years, mm -hmm. and with each year, I know I'm reminded, I'm sure you are too. Mm -hmm. The further you get away from this game right here, yeah. this play right here, I think you get a, a, maybe a greater appreciation just how special that group was. I mean, yeah. around this time of year, do you, do you kind of, do you get a little nostalgic about uh, about this season here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a world championship. I mean, we won a Super Bowl with that team, but man, it's the guys, it's the players, it's the, it's the coaches that we worked with. I mean, it's that whole group, man. It's Chief and it's, you know, it's all those guys. Yeah, it was a special time. It's a special group, and uh, it'll always be like that. So, absolutely. You know, anytime I watch the Super Bowl, we can't help but think about, hey, man, you know, we went down to Miami, and we came back with a win, and I think this was a play. Then just the whole mentality, I thought Sean did a great job of, hey, we, we have to go in there aggressive, and we did. We left no we, – we, we emptied the barrels, man. We, we were coming after them, and so it, it, it worked out, and this was, this was just a – you know, it's a small part of something really, really big. But it was it, it was a play that helped us. You know, when you think about this game, 
people outside New Orleans, they think of this is probably the play they think of the most. It's 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 a part of Super Bowl history, not yeah. just Saints history, Super Bowl history. Mm -hmm. I guess what's it like for you to be a part of that? You know, you helped plan that play, and, and you know, you know, Coach Peyton gave his marching orders, yeah. and you had to yeah. go out and execute. Yeah. Uh, you know, your portion of it, and the players went out and executed on the field. You know, you, again, I've always felt like you do you do you do you do your small part to try to create something really really big to, for uh, for the whole of the team, and so. But at the end of the day, it's the players. It's it's Chris Reese having the moxie to go in and like, hey, I'm getting that ball. And it's Jonathan Casillas coming over and just getting in that pile and, and jarring that ball loose. And it's just a bunch of guys fighting together. And I mean, that's the thing that I remember. It's it's all about those players, period. I mean, it's Thomas. Here's a rookie in the biggest game of his life executing a great kick. I mean, that's that's painstaking preparation and guts. And so that's the thing I remember the most. That's what I'm most proud of is just the players. Did you have any, hey coach, Thomas has never done this in a game. Like any reservation of, hey, maybe we should, should someone else maybe do it? I mean, did you have any reservation at all with Thomas? Because he had never executed an onside kick in a game uh, as a pro, or I don't think he had, had executed one in college either. I had 100% faith, 100, because I know the player. Mm -hmm. I know this guy, this guy's, this guy's a killer. I mean, he's gonna, in the biggest of, of pressure situations, he's going to make the play. I mean, he's just—he's a champion, and I had—I had peace about it. I—I I, I felt in my heart we we're going to get the ball. I really did. So, uh, man, put all the chips on that guy because he's going to make the play, guaranteed. And he's—what is he on his 12th, 13th yes. year? And, he, and his best football is ahead of him. I mean, he really believes that. So, no, I had peace about it. Uh. I asked all the guys this, and I'm just curious your take. When I th when you think of February 7, 2010, mm -hmm. what kind of feeling do you get? Oh, it's phenomenal, man. I mean, we we had the ability to win a world championship together. Um, you know, and it's a it was a special time with a special group, and so uh, it's it, it's 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 just it's special. And uh, get a chance to be part of that group of guys, man, that's pretty cool. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.